is a good game. I've always been saying like, I, so much, I don't think I got this one right, but like, I feel like I just, I generate so much like trivia in my brain for stuff that no one else will ever ask me about. The remaining factoids I have about 2020 candidates who no one remembers is filling up so much of my brain space. So I'm glad I get to like try to use it. Katie, I am right there with you. Hello and welcome to the 538 Politics Podcast. I'm Galen Druk. Game time for the Republican presidential primary begins in earnest this week. The first debate is being held in Milwaukee on Wednesday, and it marks the beginning of a five-month countdown to the Iowa caucuses, during which there will be monthly debates, nonstop campaigning, and a likely winnowing of the field. As summer winds down and voters train more of their attention on the primary, we'll also see whether any of the candidates are able to take former President Trump down a peg. He currently leads our national polling average with 54% support. And at the time of this recording, reporting has just come out suggesting that Trump is going to skip the debate in favor of an interview with Tucker Carlson. As an aside, we're recording this on Friday because I'm going to be running around Milwaukee on Monday. But in any case, while this may be when the nation begins to tune in, folks in the early states have been tuning in, either by choice or because of multi-million dollar ad spending, for months. And so today, in preparation for the months ahead, we're going to take in the view from the early states. And to do that, I've asked a few local reporters to join me. Going in primary state order is Katie Aiken, political reporter at the Des Moines Register. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, happy to be here. Next is Josh Rogers, senior political reporter at New Hampshire Public Radio. Likewise, welcome, Josh. Thank you. And Joseph Bustos, politics reporter at The State in Columbia, South Carolina. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So in addition to taking in the view from the early states, we are also going to, later on in the podcast, play our second ever installment of Guess Which Candidate Said This. So folks, get excited. But let's begin here. As I mentioned, the national polling picture has Trump leading with 54%. After that, DeSantis has 16% support. Then Ramaswamy with 8%, Pence with 5%, Haley with 4%, Christie and Scott with 3% each. And then on down from there, descending to zero support for some of the candidates. But the lineups in the early states can look quite a bit different based on who's managing to connect with voters there. So Katie, let's start in Iowa. How is the picture different on the ground there? So the big thing about Iowa is that since we are the first state to caucus, you know, a lot of these candidates, especially some of the lesser known candidates, spend an incredible amount of time and money here. Um, so I believe if this is coming out on Monday, we'll have a new Iowa poll out. So go look at that. I can't talk about it right now. Oh, but no. On Monday, oh, right, no. It's still I know. Embargo. No, your timing's horrible. No, I guess I would just say that you know, at this point, we are on alert for things to be shaken up here a little bit, just because people in Iowa have a lot more time to, you know, go out, see the candidates, get to know them. And, you know, some of the lesser known candidates have been spending a lot of time here. And honestly, some of the better known candidates have also been spending a lot of time here. I mean, DeSantis has been doing a bus tour the last couple of weeks. He's had a, many stops in the state uh, and Trump just swung by the state fair. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how Iowans respond to that attention. Yeah, I'm going to put some numbers to that because we've been tracking visits to each state. So Vivek Ramaswamy is leading with Iowa visits at 26 visits, followed by Asa Hutchinson at 22 Iowa visits, 
Then we have Nikki Haley at 20, DeSantis at 13, Mike Pence at 12, Bergam at 9, Donald Trump at 7, and then it goes on down from there. So some folks have been spending a lot of time in Iowa, and while I know you cannot share the Des Moines Register poll with us right now, which, by the way, is conducted by 538 acclaimed, like, best pollster in America, Ann Selzer. Queen of our hearts, champion Ann Selzer. The New York Times did do some polling there, and what it suggested was that while Trump is still leading at 44%, DeSantis is doing a bit better there at 20%, Tim Scott at 9%, which is triple where he was uh, nationally, Ramaswamy 5, Haley 4, and on down from there. That's a little bit of the picture in Iowa. We'll come back. Josh, give us a scoop on the ground in New Hampshire. Well, generally, the the polling, uh, you know, squares with the national polling, um, you know, Donald Trump remains popular with a big slug of likely Republican voters. Uh, Ron DeSantis has not been here quite as much as in Iowa. He's going to have spent the weekend here. He's been pushing and, you know, perhaps spinning his wheels a bit, trying to gain support. Chris Christie uh, is showing a little bit better here than he might be in Iowa. Uh, obviously, uh, it would be essential for him to perform well here if, you know, he truly wants to um do well. This was obviously with the state where he predicated his 2016 campaign here, and, he, and I think he came in sixth. And other than that, I mean, it, it is it is Trump, DeSantis, everyone else. I will say on the ground, there is a good deal of energy for, for Vivek Ramaswamy. He's picking up steam, seemingly, and, you know, voters seem to come out of his events wanting more, which is obviously a, a good thing. We stand up for the truth. We fight for the truth. That is what won us the American Revolution. That is what will win us the revolution of 2024. You know, we'll see. It's wide open. There is plenty of support for Trump. He did win uh, his first primary here when he in his first campaign. And there is some goodwill, but there's certainly the, the, the voters who are turning out to see candidates will tell you that they're not necessarily wedded to supporting him. And one big question in New Hampshire, we have an open primary, is um, what's the electorate going to look like? Is it going to be perhaps, uh, you know, independents are likely to vote in the Republican primary more than in the Democratic primary. And it's sort of unclear what that's even going to look like if uh, President Biden is even going to campaign here due to his favoring uh, South Carolina voting first. So there, there are a lot of questions. And, you know, there's still a lot of time here. But in general, you know, the contours of the race here seem pretty similar to to elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, if we look back at some of the state level polling that's been conducted, Emerson College, which is a pretty high quality pollster, just put out a new poll, which, as you said, Trump is at about 50 percent in that poll. But then Christie is actually in second at, with nine percent, not by much. You know, DeSantis is at eight percent. But what's going on with Christie in New Hampshire, because when he jumped into the race, a lot of us, especially folks in the national media, said he's so disliked amongst Republican voters that he doesn't have much room to really gain traction with primary voters. Is that like independence or, you know, what what is going on with Christie's support in New Hampshire? Well, there are some there are some Republicans in, in, in New Hampshire who, who really don't like Donald Trump and Christie's brand of campaigning. I mean, I will say he hasn't spent all that much time on the ground here, but his brand of campaigning, his favoring of town hall meetings, his willingness to sort of, you know, take questions and, and mix it up with voters is something that on paper would work here. What I think Republican voters have to ask themselves is two things. First is, is he really the guy? under indictment in four different cases, given the conduct that he committed, someone who can beat Joe Biden or any other Democrat 
in November 2024? And when are we going to stop pretending that this is normal? And there are a lot of, uh, you know, vestigial sort of more moderate pre-Trump Republicans and independent minded voters who are out there. Um, I'm skeptical at this point as to whether, you know, Chris Christie, uh, based on what we know now, is likely to, to, to really do that well here. But if he is going to do well anywhere, the electorate here is, is a place where uh, he would stand a decent chance. And just to put a few numbers down before we move on to South Carolina. So visits to New Hampshire. Vivek Ramaswamy once again leading the pack with 19 visits. Then we have Nikki Haley with 17 visits. Will Hurd with 11 visits. Uh, then we got a bunch of folks, you know, in like eight, seven on down from there. Ron DeSantis has only been eight times. Trump has only been five times. Let's move on to South Carolina. Joe, what are you seeing on the ground there? So polling here shows Trump is ahead as well. He's got a healthy lead, but the race is for second right now. I mean, you see in one Fox business poll, Nikki Haley was in second place ahead of DeSantis. We have to have a new conservative leader. We have to have a new person that's going to go forward and start giving us solutions. And Tim Scott's numbers have also been improving. I want people to understand that conservatism works. It doesn't work for the rich. It doesn't work for the poor. It doesn't work for the black. It doesn't work for the white. It works for America. Mainly, that's because South Carolina, in addition to being an early state, also has two South Carolinians running in the early state. So they have a lot of name recognition here. Uh, even though Donald Trump is popular, he has the biggest names uh, endorsing him, the governor. He's Governor McMaster. He's got Lindsey Graham and several of the congressmen who are all backing his campaign. So Trump right now is in the poll position. Jumping off of that real quick, I would just say, you know, something that's been interesting in Iowa is DeSantis has really been racking up the Iowa endorsements. I mean, because we're first, some of our statewide um, office holders choose not to endorse. They say that they're just trying to welcome people to the state. But DeSantis, I believe, is up to 40 legislative endorsements in Iowa. And so uh, when Trump brought some of his Florida endorsers to the Iowa State Fair as sort of a jab at DeSantis, uh, DeSantis responded by bringing a bunch of his Iowa endorsers to the state fair, essentially being like, whatever, I have these people in this state. So <laughs> it's been interesting to see how he's been focusing on, on the endorsement game here. And the endorsement game is kind of interesting in South Carolina, too. Nikki Haley, who was a state representative for six years and a governor for six years, spending 12 years in the state house, only has a handful of state lawmakers backing her. Tim Scott, who's a, who only spent one term as a state rep and then went on to Congress, he had like maybe 30 to 35 current former state lawmakers uh, backing him. So that's been an interesting dynamic as well. What's the endorsement uh, game like on the ground in New Hampshire, Josh? Well, you know, we have a massive citizen legislature, 400 members of the New Hampshire House. So it's easy to rack up a significant number of endorsements that may have a little functional nothing. effect. <laughs> um, and so there, there's a good deal. I mean, certainly Trump and DeSantis have both rolled out slates of endorsers. You know, a, a factor that at least he thinks it's important, our, our governor, Chris Sununu, who, you know, toyed with a run himself and, and traveled the country and didn't really seem to pick up much traction. He is out there explicitly uh, as a critic of, of Donald Trump at this point. Donald Trump doesn't even really act like he was president, right? He tries to kind of erase all that and kind of, he's trying to act like some sort of new candidate, that he wasn't there not draining the swamp. He wasn't there not 
you know, driving bad fiscal responsibility, which he did. Uh, one thing that I'm watching is whether he, he can hold any sway. He's terrifically popular in New Hampshire. He, If he decided to run for a fifth term, he would almost certainly win re-election. He's out there saying Republicans need to uh, get behind somebody else other than Trump and has said he's intending to sort of throw his weight behind an alternative. But, you know, they're all the, all these candidates have endorsers, uh, you know, Ramaswamy, Haley, uh, they all have slates of endorsers. I'm not sure it makes a great deal of difference in New Hampshire in this day and age. And and I'm curious to know if, if you know, other other people think these endorsements mean as much as they might have um, in a pre sort of digital era, because like I just don't see them as being terribly significant uh, in New Hampshire politics. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think that Iowans are very tuned in to sort of the national narratives, national media in a way that maybe they weren't many cycles ago. You know, in Iowa, like I said, many of the statewide elected officials are not weighing in. Um, and so, for instance, Governor Kim Reynolds is not endorsing anybody, but she and Trump kind of had a little spat a month or two ago because he essentially, uh, on, on Truth Social, he posted she should be endorsing me, essentially, like I made her governor and she has, has said that she won't do that. So uh, they're a bit on the outs right now. And it's just been really interesting to see that because Reynolds is also incredibly popular here. Um, she won re-election by a wide margin. Republicans consistently really approve of her. So I don't think it's necessarily tipping the scales very much, but it is an interesting dynamic that the leadership of the state seems less interested in Trump than maybe they once were. And I'll add this about Nikki Haley's endorsements. She's kind of turned into that. She's kind of like, all right, I didn't get along with the legislature, even though they were was Republican controlled. I took on the establishment. I took on the good old boys club. That's kind of what her her handling of that is, of the lack of endorsements here in South Carolina. There's a small handful that she's getting. Yeah, and of course, as we saw in 2016, you know, the nominee ended up being somebody who didn't get a an endorsement from a congressional Republican until like February of the year of the primary. So, uh, yeah, you know, it doesn't need to matter. I mean, when we talk about the party deciding and the reason we track endorsements in order to get a sense of whether or not the party is coalescing around someone, usually we can only say, yes, the party has decided if somebody is the runaway leader with endorsements. And I don't think we're seeing that so far. And certainly you're not suggesting that on the ground in Iowa, New Hampshire and South Carolina. But, you know, one of the reason that y'all states matter is because grassroots movement can end up having a ripple effect and creating, as we like to call it, momentum that can end up making somebody uh, a nominee who might not otherwise have been. I think probably the most famous recent example would be Barack Obama, but like Jimmy Carter is the classic example. So is there any sense that you're getting from either talking to voters or you know, maybe something that the polls can't tell us, that there is interest in sort of moving on from Trump and finding somebody different. I mean, I've heard plenty of that. But again, this is mainly speaking to voters who are at campaign events for Trump's rivals. And so, you know, to even show up, they've crossed some sort of threshold in terms of being willing to to consider others. And this evening, I'm going out to Ron DeSantis is doing some campaigning at a at a, at a local Republican dinner. And uh, this will be full of people from the southern part of the state. Uh, they're going to be in Nashua. And one thing I'm hoping to find out from voters is how, uh, you know, how how serious they are about 
being comfortable with Trump. A lot of them will tell you, well, I might want to move on, but you know, I feel he's getting a raw deal from Democrats or I liked his policies. There are some people who will just tell you they just want him gone, Republicans, but but they're not the predominant slug of voters I'm talking to these days. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, when I'm at events for Trump's, uh, Trump's opponents, I talked to a lot of voters who are still shopping around, but we saw my, my colleague, Anna Wilder, went to a Trump rally in Pickens, South Carolina, a town of, I think, about 5,000 people, and he shut down the town, attracting tens of thousands of people. Well, hello, Pickens, and hello to South Carolina. It's great to be with you. We've had great success together. And there's a huge amount of support for, for Donald Trump here in South Carolina. What is it? Like when you talk to folks who support Trump after sort of everything that he's been through, but everything he's sort of taken the party through, including like a lackluster showing in 2022, you know, a lot of national attention on indictments. What's doing it for them? I, I think that this is something we've observed over and over again at this point, but I have heard it on the ground in Iowa, too, that for some voters, you know, every time there's a new indictment that's unveiled, they truly believe that this is an effort against Donald Trump. And they they think it's an unfair effort against Donald Trump. And so, uh, you know, I've, I've spoken to Trump supporters here in Iowa who say it just makes them more inclined to rally around him and to support him. Trump doesn't owe anybody anything. And... Uh... That's he's got my support 100 um, percent. I don't think that's true for all Trump supporters. You know, I, I think there are other people who feel more hesitant and who are concerned about the fact that, you know, this could hurt his electability, despite the fact that they like him as a candidate. But I think that for so many of these true Trump supporters, they're with him through thick and thin. And the more things that happen that seem like they would be stumbling blocks for Trump, you know, some of these people just dig in even deeper and. Uh, I think that that's a phenomenon that the other candidates don't really know what to do with. I think part of it also is everyone like they, who I speak to supports Trump. They, they like what he did when he was running the country. Uh, they like when we did when he was president. So let's give him another four years. I talked to a guy by the name of uh, John Wenzel. He's from, uh, uh, from Irmo. And he said this about Trump. He did a great job for his first time around, even though he got hijacked and railroaded. And I feel he'll continue to do the same. So there's just a support of of Trump and what he did as president. And, and I also think there's also the absence of, of another candidate rising up and, and really demonstrating that they would necessarily be stronger. And that's one thing that, you know, I've spent some time following Ron DeSantis around. And he obviously, you know, labors to make the point that Donald Trump didn't deliver on his promises. He said he was going to drain the swamp. He did not drain the swamp, not even close. We ended his presidency with Anthony Fauci running the country. You couldn't even fire Fauci. And so now you're going to go drain the swamp. In Florida, DeSantis points to his record. Um, you know, but uh, and a, lo a lot of Republicans say they like what DeSantis has to say. I mean, there is obviously sort of an emotional connection. A lot of voters feel to Trump that that DeSantis just doesn't seem to capture whether or not, you know, months away when it actually comes to time to vote, you know, he might be able to build that. I don't know. But but, you know, again, that's one thing that Ramaswamy has going for him is that voters come out of his events wanting more and feeling good. You get less of that with a lot of the other candidates. And I think that that's one reason why 
they haven't been able to chip into to Trump's clear advantages. That's an interesting point about the Ramaswamy effect. And I want to dig into that a little bit more. You know, basically, if we go back to March before any of the indictments came out, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump were close to being tied in the national polling. You know, DeSantis was at about 35 percent. Trump was in the 40s. And if you squinted, it looked like it was really going to be uh, a close race between those top two. In the months since then, the indictments have blotted out the sun. There have been four in over a span of five months. And for folks like you mentioned, Katie, who feel like they need to be there to defend, uh, you know, a popular former Republican president, that's maybe what's occupied their space. And also for anyone else trying to break through, like you mentioned, Josh, it hasn't been possible because those indictments have blotted out the sun. Now, who knows? But like this debate is sort of a turning of the page a little bit. We're not expecting any more indictments, although there will still be news about trial dates and, you know, defense plans and so on and so forth. But for the time being, we might be able to turn our attention to the real sort of campaign. And when we do that, are, are, are any of you seeing like something on the ground like, oh, this this person's really resonating? And why? Like, why is Ramaswamy resonating? Why is he prompting that emotional response? Why isn't DeSantis sort of maintaining the, that level of support at, say, 35%. Something I would say, too, like thinking about the fact um, that DeSantis entered the race with, you know, national polling that was closer to Trump. I think, obviously, the indictments are a huge part of that. Um, when I've been uh, following DeSantis the most closely here in Iowa, I've been, like, assigned to his campaign primarily. And I would say that there's been notable changes that he's had to make since he entered the race. I mean, you know, he kind of stumbled when he entered. There was the whole thing with Elon Musk on Twitter, and then he wasn't actually in Iowa very frequently at first. Um, so he, I think, has shifted significantly here. And it remains to be seen whether or not that's going to help him pick up in the early states. I also have noticed some significant energy around Ramaswamy, right? I mean, he's interesting. He's a good speaker um, in a way that some of these candidates are just not quite as compelling. The nuclear family is the best known form of governance to mankind. Capitalism is the best system known to man to lift people up from poverty. You know, my question is, how serious are they about him? Um, I've heard from a lot of people who are interested in him. They like what he has to say. They like his energy. But I've also gotten the sense from some Iowa voters and, you know, who knows, but I've gotten the sense from some Iowans at this point that they aren't really sure they're ready, they're ready to caucus for him. Like they aren't sure that they're ready to throw their full support behind him, even though he's kind of fun and young and interesting to them. I think that's a fair, fair uh, question. I mean, a lot of voters up here that I've talked to, you know, find him compelling. I mean, some wonder about he's too young. Do we really know enough about him? Uh, you know, what are his sincere views on some issues? Uh, he, he's he's a good campaigner and he has fun while doing it and he can connect with people and he's, you know, very um, – credible sort of political athlete in terms of like the actual performative aspect of, of campaigning, which, you know, may ultimately not be what voters make up their minds on. But if you're attending a campaign event, um, that's more, comp he's more compelling than, than many of the other Republicans. Galen, you mentioned something about Tim Scott's poll numbers, right? How they've improved or they've, they're doing well in Iowa. I mean, how much is, have you been seeing in terms of the Tim Scott related ads? He came in with a war chest. So they started spending that and he's got 
a couple of decent super PACs that are spinning on his behalf too, right? Yeah, I just got to ask, what is it like watching television in your states right now? I, okay, look, I'm going to out myself as the, the young millennial that I am and say that I'm mostly using, you know, streaming services. And it hasn't been horrible for me yet, but um, I it's definitely, it has started up for sure. It's just not yet to the point where it's every single advertisement, which is what I'm expecting soon. I mean, there's a good deal of DeSantis pack ads up. Those are hard to miss. Hi, this is Governor Ron DeSantis. Our mission is simple. We are going to send Joe Biden back to his basement in Delaware on a permanent vacation. Certainly, uh, I watch a lot of tennis and there's been a lot of uh, Tim Scott ads on the tennis channel. And if you're a man, you should play sports against men. America needs more victors and less victims. But uh, it's really the, the, the male pieces have been, um, particularly from DeSantis, it's every day um, getting those. And, you know, there's one that, that my family received yesterday that says, you know, only in America could you have a hamburger that, that, that tastes so good. Only in America could you have a truck this large. Only in America could you have a story like Ron DeSantis. And, um, wow, evocative. You know, one of my neighbors, one of my neighbors commented that like this left DeSantis in third place behind the hamburger. So I don't know, the DeSantis people, I mean, they're spending a lot of money. Uh, the, the pack is here in New Hampshire. The Never Back Down pack that's backing DeSantis, they yeah. spent some TV money uh, uh, in South Carolina, uh, I think a couple of months ago. I think Trump may have also been on the air a little bit, or at least Trump pack had been on the air. We haven't been inundated yet. Uh, it's actually calmed down. Uh, I, but I have done some uh, tracking, at least the old tedious way of looking at the old FTC files. And I know Tim Pack has reserved time for, I think, around November and December, uh, getting in those cheap rates while they can. Yeah, Joe, South Carolina is definitely getting short shrift out of the early states. I didn't mention the number of visits, but no one has visited South Carolina in the double digits. So uh, you know, once again, the leader there, or I guess the leader there is Nikki Haley, perhaps unsurprisingly, but with only seven visits. And then, you know, a couple, Asa Hutchinson, Tim Scott, five visits, Vivek Ramaswamy, Ron DeSantis, four, Trump, three. Hey, oh, I, I want to point out something. We'll have a month between New Hampshire and South Carolina. We're going to get our share. And we kind of hope that some take that trip out West, give us a little bit of a break, but I, I don't know how much they're going to, how many are going to head up to Nevada. So, um, so, you know, one question I have before we play our game is like, put the candidates aside for a second. When you're talking to voters, what's motivating them? Maybe beyond, and like, I know you're talking to voters at a lot of political rallies. And so these those people are oftentimes going to be primed by, say, partisan media or the candidates themselves to say whatever is motivating them. Like, if they're at, you know, say a Mike Pence campaign rally, they may be saying, you know, abortion is really motivating me or whatever. But are you seeing patterns or even getting beyond the people at campaign rallies? Like what's concerning folks? You'll hear border from time to time, uh, concerns about the southern border and I think tax policy or at least having the economy function well. So economy and um, immigration. Yeah. Sounds standard. Yeah. I was trying to think if there's anything, you know, particularly groundbreaking, but I, I think that Joe's totally right that it's the same issues that are often usually motivating uh, voters and particularly Republican voters um, here in Iowa. You know, the economy is huge, um, you know, wanting prices to go down, 
lower taxes. There is a focus on on uh, immigration on the border as well, despite the fact that we're way up here in the Midwest. Um, that's still an issue that's very uh, concerning and, and uh, present for voters. Um, and I would say, too, just the, the Iowa flavor, uh, less so than the other two, but people are concerned about, um, you know, energy, energy independence. Um, you know, Iowa is a huge ethanol exporter. Uh, so people want biofuels. People want the candidates to be talking about that issue while they're here. But I don't know if it's make or break for people who aren't directly corn farmers. I mean, one thing that, that I've been hearing some from voters is certainly – you know, some of the culture war issues as well, certainly stuff around education. And, um, you know, some of the biggest cheers at the events do come when uh, Republicans are really laying into so-called woke politics. Those seem to get the emotion in the room in terms of voters you, you might talk to at the dump or at a, at a, you know, old home days or something. Certainly inflation is probably the biggest concern uh, I'm hearing from voters. Housing is, is a big issue in New Hampshire. Housing is quite expensive, and there's a real paucity of, of available housing. And, you know, uh, abortion rights are a big thing. And, you know, the, a certain a larger than average percentage of Republican voters in New Hampshire actually support abortion rights. And, you know, how, how that manifests itself is something that, that you know, it'll be interesting to see less of a primary issue, but certainly, you know, is motivating some Republican voters I talked to away from from certain candidates and, um, you know, di distrust of government. And, you know, at, at Republican events, a lot of real just disdain for Biden. Yeah, I would say disdain for Biden is a theme all the time uh, at all of these Republican events. Uh, and and jumping off of that, Josh, too, uh, disdain for government in general I think it's very prevalent as well. Um, I was at an event for Representative Ashley Hinson a couple weeks back, uh, and she had, I think, about six or seven of the candidates there to speak. And uh, both Ramaswamy and uh, Perry Johnson, you know, in their stump speeches, they basically advocate for eradicating entire federal departments, right? Like they say, no more FBI, no more Department of Justice, no more Department of Education. Um, and people were really cheering for that. You know, people seemed really eager to just rip it all out and start over, uh, which is, it was a little surprising to me just because I hadn't heard them on the trail as, as much. And I don't know how many of those individuals would really vote for that versus cheer for that. Um, but I think that there is a lot of bad feelings towards Washington, D.C. right now, which I don't think is a surprise to anyone who has ever watched the news. Well, what a positive note to end on. Uh, <laughs> but we are going to play our second installment ever of Guess Which Candidate Said This. So let's do it. Today's podcast is brought to you by Shopify. Ready to make the smartest choice for your business? Say hello to Shopify, the global commerce platform that makes selling a breeze. Whether you're starting your online shop, opening your first physical store, or hitting a million orders, Shopify is your growth partner. Sell everywhere with Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. Turn browsers into buyers with Shopify's best converting checkout, 36% better than other platforms. Effortlessly sell more with Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Did you know Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and supports global brands like Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen. 
Join millions of successful entrepreneurs across 175 countries backed by Shopify's extensive support and help resources. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Start your success story today. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash 538. That's the numbers, not the letters. Shopify.com slash 538. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. As you all know from being on the trail, sometimes the candidates' messages can meld together, and sometimes the candidates can sound like they don't even belong to the same party. And so I'm going to see if after all the time you spent listening to them, you are able to tell the difference. Is everyone ready? I'm nervous. I wasn't yeah, nervous. I, I, I am terrified. I'm nervous for this game, yeah. Okay, the way we're going to do this is to sort of equalize it. We're going to have you all write down the answer on a piece of paper and then show it at the same time, and I will try to keep score the best I can. Let me open up my notes app as we speak so I can keep score. All right, here we go. So the first, the first candidate quote is, I do know the difference between a genius and a war criminal, and Vladimir Putin's unconscionable and unprovoked invasion of Ukraine was an act of naked aggression. Can I just say, politicians love the word unconscionable. I don't think I ever said or heard the word unconscionable before I started covering politics. Now I hear it every day. (laughs) Um, All right, is everyone ready? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Three, two, one, reveal. Oh, no. Katie, you have Pence. Joe, you have Christy. And Josh, you have Haley. It is Mike Pence. Katie, that is one for you. (laughs) Congratulations. What was the giveaway for you? Pence has talked a lot about Ukraine in Iowa. And it's it's like marked him as different from many of the other candidates because a lot of the other candidates at this point are saying like, we shouldn't be sending that much money. We need to focus on America. And Pence has been really consistent about bringing it up and being like, I think that we need to keep fighting the good fight and helping Ukraine. So uh, that was that was my best guess. All right. And it was a good one at that. Next quote. Here we go. We need to deal with China as the threat they are. The way I would deal with it is, number one, I wouldn't allow them to buy U.S. soil. We would take the land that they bought back from them. This is a good game. I've always been saying, like, I have so much. I don't think I got this one right. But, like, I feel like I just, I generate so much, like, trivia in my brain for stuff that no one else will ever ask me about. The remaining factoids I have about 2020 candidates who no one remembers is filling up so much of my brain space. So I'm glad I get to, like, try to use it. Katie, I am right there with you. Uh, Okay, here we go. Three, two, one, reveal. Okay, we have Katie with DeSantis, Joe with Haley, and Josh with Haley. It is Haley. So congratulations, (laughs) Josh and Joe. Right. Stick with Haley. (laughs) Let's keep right down Haley for each one. (laughs) That's a good strat. All three of you have one. So two questions in. We are tied. I'm just glad I got one. (laughs) Um, 
I honestly, while I sort of came up with this game, I would not be caught dead playing it. I would be way too nervous. Um, <laughs> so thanks. Thanks for being bold and playing along with me. All right. Next one. I know many people find this extreme. I think it is deeply practical. I will shut down the FBI. That institution has become so rotten and so politicized that we can take the small number of frontline agents and move them to the U.S. Marshals or the DEA. I shouldn't have talked about what I talked about. Three, two, one, reveal. You all got it. It's Vivek Ramaswamy. <laughs> I guess it could have been Perry Johnson, although you did preview that one a little bit um, out on the trail. Here we go. Here's the, here's the next one. You know who loves it when Republicans are fighting with each other on stage? Not just Joe Biden. China loves that. China loves that absolutely, because why wouldn't they want a president whose policies on energy are actually almost written by China? All right, here we go. Three, two, one, reveal. I'm absolutely wrong. Okay, so Katie had Burgum, Joe had Haley, and Josh had DeSantis. Katie, you got it. It's Doug uh -huh. Burgum. Whoa. Uh, yes. Okay. Let me. So at that same event um, with uh, Ashley Hinson, I knew that Burgum's, he has his like three main things in his stump speech. He has the economy, energy, and whatever the third thing is. So I was like, China? I, I don't think it was that. Oh, actually, you're, it's national security. National security. There you go. Okay. So Josh has two, Katie has three, Joe has two. Are you ready? Ready for the next one? Here we go. Quote, I said I'm pro-life. I will be a pro-life president, and we will support pro-life policies. At the same time, I look at what's going on in Congress, and I don't see them making very much headway. I think the danger from Congress is if we lose the election, they're going to try to nationalize abortion up until the moment of birth. All right. Three, two, one, reveal. Ooh, we have Katie says Haley, Joe says Scott, and Josh says Scott. No one got it, so we're going to do a redo. All right, reveal. Okay, so Katie has Hutchinson, Joe has Christie, and Josh has DeSantis, and it is DeSantis. Congratulations, oh. Josh. Josh, what made you think DeSantis? You know, he didn't say that in New Hampshire. He doesn't talk about abortion so much up here. Um, you know, I don't know. You're like process of elimination. Hunch. It was a hunch. It was a hunch. <laughs> My sense is that it's like um, focusing on the electoral argument is the thing that makes it DeSantis-y, right? He's like, yeah, 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 we're all pro-life, right? But we got to win Congress in the first place. Otherwise, none of this matters. Haley has made a similar argument saying, yeah, we all would like to see some sort of abortion ban, 15 weeks, 20 weeks, whatever it is. But until you get 60 votes in the Senate, it's really it's not worth the time that be arguing over what kind of a national abortion ban to go for. So. so what I'm hearing from Joe is I should have half a point. Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing, I mean, I'm biased because I know the answers to all of these, but the other thing he says is we will support pro-life policies and DeSantis oftentimes refers to him and his campaign as we, as opposed to I. I don't know if anyone else has picked up on that. Anyway, okay, moving on. Here's the next one. Quote, there are things more important than politics, and I believe that restoring the sanctity of life to the center of American law is the calling of our times. All right. Three, two, one. Reveal. We got a Scott from Katie, a Scott from Joe, and a Pence from Josh. It is Mr. Mike Pence. So congratulations, Josh. What, uh, what gave it away for you? 
I mean, that's what he likes to say, that kind of thing. So. <laughs> You're like, like wow. Well, <laughs> it's pretty obvious. Okay, we have Josh with four, Katie with three, Joe with two. Here's the next one. Minorities don't vote for people because of the color of their skin. They vote for people because they're going to lift them up, because they're going to take care of them and not just take care of a select few. I'm going to start playing like Josh, which is entirely vibes-based. <laughs> That's how I live my life. All right, three, two, one, reveal. Ooh, we have Katie has Elder, Joe has Scott, and Josh has Ramaswamy. No one got it. Do you want to do, do, you want to do another round? All right, three, two, one, reveal. You all got it this time. All right, it was Haley. <laughs> Is that the that's the final non-white candidate in the, in the Republican mm-hmm. primary? Yeah, I guess you, yeah. You all you all were onto that. All right, next one. Quote: The problem with Trump is that he knows no sense of history, no intellectual curiosity, and doesn't care whether he puts himself before the country at every turn. Three, two, one. Reveal. Wow, everyone got it again. Okay, now we're getting wow. to the easy ones. It's all, everyone said Chris Christie. It is Chris Christie. I can tell some of y'all have spent some time on the campaign trail. Uh, okay, we have one left. Should we make this interesting and make this worth more than one point? Because right now, Josh is at six, Katie's at five, and Joe is at four. I mean, that would only be sporting, so why don't you do yeah. that? All right, <laughs> all right we're going to make this worth three points. Here we go. We have a man right now who can't put two sentences together, and he's negotiating on our behalf with nuclear weapons. He's lost every country. Now we're enemies with Russia, with China, with North Korea, with Iran. I've got it between two. I see now I'm I'm psyching myself out because I feel like you're gonna do something mean and make it like will hurt. You know what I mean? I would I'll never tell. Well, you will in a minute. Well, I will in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> All right, three, two, one, reveal. You all got it again, it's Trump. (laughs) So Josh, you win. And Joe and Katie, I think you ended up tied. Thank you so much for playing along. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Put those spare, you know, trivia brain cells to, to to good use. All right, well, congratulations, Josh. Your award is in the mail. We're going to leave it there for today. My name is Galen Drew. Tony Chow is in the control room. You can get in touch by emailing us at podcasts at 538.com. You can also, of course, tweet at us with any questions or comments. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a rating or review in the Apple Podcast Store or tell someone about us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. Bye.